so stupid, he comes across in front of me every single time he ever takes. Where does he want me to go off the track? No! Stop talking to me in the braking zone! Guaranteed to be more sassy than Twitter beef with Sage Karam, welcome to episode 30 of Motorsport 101. And I am your friendly neighbourhood host, Mr. Andre Harrison, of course. And with me on this special IndyCar season preview edition of the podcast, we have, well, not one, but two people from America. I'm outnumbered. <laughs> not good. Um, our producer, Adam Johnson, taking a bit of a breather on this one. He's just cooked a delightful Mother's Day roast dinner. So filling in, and I'm very happy to announce this, filling in for Johnson for this episode she is one half of the Grid Girls podcast and one of the most entertaining hockey Twitter follows you will ever come across. Introduce yourself, Miss Sarah Connors. Hi, everybody. Thanks for having me on today. Uh, oh man, I, 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 like, trust me, I've been waiting for this ever since I started this reboot. I, 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 one of the first things I think about, we've got to get Sarah on a show at some point. And given that it was an IndyCar season preview, we had to get you on even more so now that Alexander Rossi's on board. But we'll cover that a little bit later. And of course, we have our regular, Mr. Ryan King. Hello, sir. Is this like the first side of me getting replaced now? I'm like, um, my only American status is gone now. <laughs> your P40, your, your P45's in the mail, King. Don't worry. <laughs> like Sarah's got too many indie car friends you can bring on at any given opportunity. You've been, you've been replaced. <laughs> no, no, I'm joking. Oh uh, no. <laughs> like King's irreplaceable. I think he's been on something like twenty-five out of our now thirty episodes. Like he, like he's part of the furniture at this point. I should be charging him rent by now. But <laughs> but uh, on this special new weekly edition of the podcast, because we are now going once a week from here on in, a little bit of discussion about Formula One, enough kind of like an extension to a previous segment we already did on last week's show, talking about the uh, Halo becoming the first uh, public uh, viewing of said Halo during the F1 testing season. And everybody kinds of hates it, or do they? Uh, we'll, be, we'll be following up with, with some more of the drivers' opinions and where everything kind of stands on this and just how crazy this whole Halo situation is. And is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Pros, cons, again, all that good stuff. It's a nice little follow-up. And then, of course, we will get into the IndyCar season preview proper, which is basically the meat and potatoes of this entire show. We'll be going through all the little bits and pieces from all the part-timers in the Indy 500 runners, as well as going down to the bigger teams from Foyt to, to uh, KVSH, Carpenter, Smith-Peterson, and of course, the powerhouses of Andretti, Penske, and Ganassi. So all of that, Rookie of the Year discussion, all that good stuff on this quite special edition of the Motorsport 101. So let's get into the Formula 1 and get that out of the way real quick, because nobody really wants to talk about Formula 1 right now, because there's nothing nice to talk about right now, really. But... Um, the Halo, uh, obviously, is the biggest talking point to come out of F1 testing, besides everyone trying to circumvent lap times and saying, oh, has Ferrari got a chance this year? Um, I, no, <laughs> but um, uh, I, I thought I'd cut that one out real quick. But basically, the Halo made its appearance on day three. It, it showed up again on day four with both Ferrari drivers testing their early incarnation of the Halo and... It definitely seems to have split opinions on this one, King, and it's, it's like even more so than the last time we recorded this. It was more drivers have since come out and been vocal about it, and um, I think it's fair to say the paddock are divided on this. Yeah, it's clearly divided, a, a lot more divided than I thought 
when you know early in the year when the GPDS when the GPDA said that yeah they're all on board I knew it wasn't true but I didn't know it was this bad yeah I didn't know we would have Lewis Hamilton come out and say this is the worst modification in Formula One history and said if it was optional he wouldn't run it yeah that's I'll I'll get to Hamilton's comments in a minute but that wasn't that wasn't great I know we already kind of talked about this on last week's show but we never got Sarah's point of view on this whole halo so. Sarah, where do you where do you stand on the whole thing? Um, I think that some of the drivers who are being more outspoken about how dumb it is or how dumb they think it is um, need to look at a little bit of F one history. To be perfectly honest, mm-hmm. I mean there there were drivers that came out when you know the rear wing became a thing. People said that that was the dumbest looking thing, and look what it, look what we've got now. Uh, you know, every open wheel series and every you know non open wheel series really has some variation of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when when people started wearing helmets people thought thought it was stupid when when they added that that like t-bone camera to the back of the like the roll cage photographers complained about how stupid it looks there's always going to be people who are going to like reject these these new things in f1 and you know of course give it a couple years and everyone won't even no one will talk about it anymore it won't even be an issue um i think it's i think it's a smart idea i think that obviously they're going to need to work on it to you know, modify it a little bit and make sure that, you know, you're not going to roll the car and the halo is going to bend in a way that the driver can't get out of the car, something like that. Um, but I do think that the drivers being outspoken about it in a negative way are not the smartest at this point. And I know it's Hamilton, it's Hulkenberg has said some stuff in, in uh, opposition to it. Um, Vettel, Vettel liked it, right? Didn't he? Yeah, I'll, I'll go a quick read of Sebastian Vettel's comment. He said, I think the Halo is okay, even if I believe that this system can be improved in terms of both aesthetic and visibility, and I think we will see an evolution of it very soon. In principle, I think it doesn't look very nice, but if it can help save lives, and if thanks to it at least the two drivers who died recently, Henry Surtees and Justin Wilson, could still be here with us, then I think it can be the ugliest system, but nothing could justify not having it fitted. So... Exactly. Vettel was basically saying, sure, it doesn't look great, but it doesn't need to look great. And if it saves lives, then it's only a good thing, basically. See, Vettel was probably the most diplomatic um, regarding the situation. I know Felipe Massa said something very similar as well um, around the time that it, it, it was first displayed. Now, as, as Sarah quite rightly pointed out, um, Nico Hulkenberg was one of the more negative names against this idea. His quote was, and I, and, I, and I'm following, for me, it looks horrible. I think it sterilizes the sports. There needs to be an element of danger that makes it sexy and attractive, and that's also what Formula One needs. Back in the day, it was a lot more. If anybody's playing F1 driver bingo at home and, and, you, and have, you have the box say, back in the day, you can tick it off now and take a drink. Um, King, it's... I, I don't like what Hulkenberg's got to say here. I mean, calling it a sterilizer? I mean, really? Oh. Like, oh, back in the day when F1 was sexy and people died. Yeah, that, yeah, Hulkenberg. Re- did you real see, smart. <laughs> did you see Ricardo's, like, reaction to that? Yeah, I... Oh, yes. Yeah, here's, Ricardo, here's Ricardo's reaction, and honestly, this might be my favorite Daniel Ricardo quote since he started in Formula 1. He said, I heard Hulkenberg say some things I don't agree with because there's no need to be a hero about the situation. It doesn't change the sport or the speed of the car. It, it's just if there are any flying objects, it's an extra bit of protection for us. I don't know why he's puffing his chest out for something like that. It doesn't make sense. 
Now, I know, King, I know you were opposed to the Daniel Ricardo bandwagon movement, but I like the fact that Ricardo kept it very real on this one. <laughs> yeah, when, he, when he's right, he's right. Yeah, I, I, I can't disagree with anything that Ricardo said in that one. I mean, I think I get that. I mean, we talked about, I talked about this with King before we went on the air real quick, and I was just saying that F1 definitely, I think, glamorizes its past to a large degree but doesn't really want to talk about the things that negatively affected it like death, which happened more often than people would care to admit. And, you know, we all like to glamorize the past, make it all sound great. It happens in many elements like engine noise and, you know, how the cars looked, how the cars were faster. We all saw David Coulthard's comments earlier this week saying that, you know, F1 needs, you know, needs to be flat out and whatnot. And even though car management's been around for like 30 years now in Formula One is Brundle quite rightly said during Canada last year and you know when you've got so many people coming out and and saying these things about what their perfect vision of F1 is King of course people are going to react very anxiously let's say over things like this right yeah and it, it, it kind of it, they kind of at first tried to put it off because mm. before Jules's incident there was uh, Maria Di Velota's incident where people kind of like brushed it off as an extremely freak accident. This will never happen again. Mm-hmm. And kind of like, death is not an issue in Formula One. Don't worry about it. Then, like, that's, that's the funny thing about that. People say, oh, these things are just freak accidents. And I mean, and that's been said a lot over the last couple of weeks over these developments in the Halo device. And when you've got to consider things like, Jules Bianchi, which obviously was, you know, a unsavable situation, no matter which way you look at it, to Justin Wilson, to Henry Surtees. So people forget about Hinchcliffe got hit by a stray piece of a car back in Indianapolis a couple of years ago as well. So it's it's obviously mentioning Felipe Massa as well. It's obviously more common than I think drivers want to admit. Um, we've had five or six incidents like this in the last five or six years, ironically. So. I don't know whether it's just people are in denial about this or whether it's just like Ricardo said, like big ego movements and, you know, having their their precious F1 look untouched because, you know, people think F1 is sexy and has to be, you know, look attractive to the casual viewer and whatnot. I I, I don't even want to go down that road because Lewis Hamilton's quote, I think, was the most like I wouldn't I don't want to say asinine. In fact, I will call it asinine and, and as well as naive because this quote was. I really, really hope not, and if it does come in, then I hope we will be given the option of not using it because I will not be using it on my car. <laughs> and people and people ask me why Lewis Hamilton gets so much criticism sometimes. Like, Sarah, like I, I don't even know what to tell you on this one. Like, it's, it's just, I'm going to give him an extreme benefit of the doubt and chalk this up to naivety. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I mean, <clears throat> with, the, with the whole, like, oh, Formula 1 needs to be sexier, blah, blah, blah. I don't think people who are already watching are going to stop watching because you're adding a halo. Agreed. To be honest. Uh-huh. You want to draw more viewers in? Um, t- do revenue sharing. Make it so that there's equal teams. Like, d- t- don't let one team run away with the championship every year. Do something that's going to make the racing better. You know, Formula One's already as sexy as it's going to get. These guys are driving 200 miles an hour around a track every week, and that's super exciting. Like, I'm sorry, but um, I'd rather not have the risk of people dying and get to enjoy my sport every every Sunday, you know, at 8 in the morning whenever we have to get up. Yeah. And, um, 
Yeah, rather than, you know, the alternative. So, you know, Halo is not going to stop me from watching it. And uh, I think that's a pretty common attitude. And yeah, Hamilton's comment is just, that's rough. It's it's naive, and unfortunately, I think a lot of people jumped on that too, especially because one, it's Lewis Hamilton who's the biggest star in Formula One right now, so of course, his opinion will carry weight. But on top of that, Jenny Gow was one of the people that jumped on 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 that and made a poll, um, very very similar to what Hamilton was saying. Like, is this Halo the worst um, looking modification in Formula One history? And seventy percent of Gow's voters agreed with him, and I was like. This world is this this world is doomed. <laughs> like like I looked at that in horror when I first saw that. I'm like, really? But are they agreeing with him because they're Hamilton fans and they're gonna agree with him when it, no matter what? Because mm. his fan base tends to be like that. It's true. He he does have I, the the biggest fan base in F1 by a mile and the biggest bandwagon support. I'd argue in F1 as well. <laughs> Go on, King. Like that's one of my like big gripes about politics in F one. <laughs> People don't seem to have their own ideas. They yep. just back whatever who they like backs. Yeah, it's like, well, Vettel said this. Let's like what he had to say. Hulkenberg didn't like it. Boo this man. So you know, <laughs> it's 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 one of those kind. Of, I think I think there's definitely an element of that to it because I think. I think a lot of people that don't know any better would easily look at that kind of comment and say, well, Lewis Hamilton said it, it must be true. Or, you know, <laughs> something along those lines, even though there is definitely a vocal opposite opinion to this and people that are more willing to have an open mind on this situation, like Daniel Ricciardo, like Carlos Sainz, like Felipe Massa, like Sebastian Vettel. And it's, like I said, it is such a funny observation that the drivers are clearly so split on this when... The GPDA was was claiming to be all in agreement for this. Like, what are the odds you have you have like twenty grown grown knuckleheads who are speed freaks that are driving two hundred mile an hour cars to ever agree on anything, let alone something that compromises potentially could compromise the look of the sport for the sake of speed for, you know, for a bunch of speed nuts. Well, I'm curious. I'm curious uh, as to whether did they agree on making the car safer and adding some sort of you know head protection, or did they agree specifically on the halo? I think uh, they agreed on head protection. Yes. Okay. So maybe that might be it. I mean, they. I. I would believe that. I would believe that. Um. I mean, the halo is ugly. I'm sorry. I mean, it's it is. not going to stop me. It's going to, um, for me personally, like I've been to a few races and it's going to make it more difficult to pick out which driver is in which car. Mm-hmm, that's uh, fair. Because you're not going to be able to see helmets as well, which is kind of annoying. But I mean, it's a minor annoyance in the big picture. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think, in, you know, they'll innovate. They, that won't stay that way forever. They'll figure something else out, you know, I'm sure. But um yeah, it's just it doesn't make sense for these people to now, you know, do a 180 and be so outspoken against it. Yeah, I, I did find that I, that was the most confusing element for me in all of this was just seeing drivers that, you know, claiming to be all for it one minute under the GPDA banner. And then all of a sudden, oh, this is, it's, it's a terrible idea. It looks horrible. We need F1 to be sexy. And I'm like, oh, for God's sake, <laughs> F1 politics 101 right here. Ask King. Like I said, he's, he's the political science major. He knows this shit. Oh, God. <laughs> I mean, like, if you look back at the history of, like, safety in F1, probably the biggest thing, the biggest safety innovation of this century was the Hans device. Mm-hmm. And it has a long history that was largely not involving Formula One until the very end, where 
basically a professor at Michigan State University came up with the idea after a friend of his died in a in a touring car accident at mid Ohio and basically came up with it in 1985 for his concept. It was ready to be sold as a product in 1990, but no one wanted it. And then the FIA started looking at solutions to prevent, you know, to increase driver safety after Ericsson Senna's death in 1994. And they were working with the FIA was working with Mercedes to come up with this airbag solution (laughs) That that they would install airbags into Formula One cars. Yikes. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. And basically the main issue with installing an airbag in a Formula One car is that it's not reusable. So so once you have like a small accident and the airbag goes off, you're out of the race. And Dr. Sid Watkins said, Why don't we look at this American innovation, the the Hans device? And they eventually found out that the Hans device was just as good as this airbag. So they, so this professor worked with Mercedes, and they were able to narrow down the Hans device to what it is today. Because what it was before, it was a massive thing. It had like this bowl-shaped collar that went up to your mm-hmm. ears and went around the back of your head, and the little uh, straps on the side. Uh, they were a lot larger back then. They were like, if you like had a like uh, draping a sock a soccer scarf made of carbon fiber down your shoulders. <laughs> what? So you're telling me that a guy came up with this great innovation and then Mercedes poured its millions of dollars into it and made it better? What? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> it's amazing. And you know, <laughs> I, I can't <laughs> imagine how that would you know benefit this Halo thing. I can't imagine. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, because Mercedes' original idea, you know, like the Halo, was so ludicrous and ridiculous that they just decided to throw it out with something more efficient that they found later down the road. And from the time the hands device was made in 1985 as a first concept, King, when was it finally mandatory in Formula One? Uh, 2003. Yeah. <laughs> 18 years, everybody. Um this- Guys, you know, they talk about being so innovative and so great, but really they're just a bunch of backwards idiots. Pretty much. <laughs> yes. much. Like, we expect way too much out of Formula One these days. I, I, could go, like, I could go on a 10 minute rant about this if I really wanted to, but, you know, it's just nothing ever gets done over here. And if, if, it, if it took 18 years for the greatest, arguably, safety innovation in modern F1 history, to be a thing in Formula One, that should say a lot about how the sports run from a personnel standpoint. It's, it's not a good look at all. But um, if you're listening, why not comment below and tell us what you think of the Halo design and whatnot, and then and the conflicting drivers' opinions on it. But uh, yeah, enough miserable F1 talk for, <laughs> for another week. We're saving that for the F1 season preview next week. Yay! Yeah, 13 days till Australia. Yeah. Oh boy, oh boy. Oh boy. Are you ready for another 15 rounds of Mercedes dominance? <laughs> hey, Australia was kind of interesting last yeah. year because like half the field blew up. <laughs> That's not a good reason. <laughs> no. <laughs> But, um, yeah, we'll be talking about that on next week's show. May the good Lord help us all. And I'll be bringing plenty of vodka to try and get through that taping, even even drink. Also, somebody get the vodka for the Golden State Warriors. They're losing by 16 to the Lakers right now, and I find it absolutely glorious. (laughs) 
let the roasting begin. Anyway, moving on to the IndyCar season preview. Now, this is what I've been waiting for for a long time, and there is so much cool things to talk about with IndyCar this year. And it's like IndyCar's been like the beacon of single-seater hope <laughs> this year when the F1 world ended up being quite miserable during the off-season, basically been riddled with Lewis Hamilton motivational quotes on Twitter and a safety device that everybody kind of hates. Lovely. <laughs> Meanwhile, in IndyCar, the fun shit goes on. You know, we have colourful liveries, colourful personalities, and colourful po podcast hosts. <laughs> We're, we all love it here. But, um, yeah, an awful, awful lot to like about IndyCar this season, King. I think, I think that's fair to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I mean, uh, I don't... Well, let me just intro in the first segment. There's a lot to like, and the rookies are just... The three full-time rookies this year, I just love them all. Alexander Rossi, Max Chilton, and Connor Daly. Yeah, just that's yeah, that, that is such a freaking fantastic set of rookies. It really is. Um, just to have a quick rundown of the calendar before we get going, the season starts this time next week, as I the time of recording. But the time you're listening to it, it'll be on March 13th at the streets of St. Petersburg. That'll be on ABC. Then April 2nd. A return to the Phoenix International Raceway, which looked absolutely stunning during the test. Um, when the sun was going down, it looked absolutely gorgeous, and uh, I can't wait to see them back around Phoenix. As a, as a set, only a second season watcher, I've never seen them race around Phoenix before, so I'm looking forward to seeing that. Um, the historic Streets of Long Beach is next, two weeks later on April 17th, followed by Barber Motorsports Park a week later on the 24th, home of Joseph Newgarden's first win last year and the Raging Ray Hall's steal that almost happened. <laughs> then a couple weeks out before May 14th, the Grand Prix of Indianapolis, and then, of course, the Indy 500 on May 29th, the 100th run-in of the Indy 500. Kind of a big deal, that one. Then the double at Detroit in June 4th and 5th, the week afterwards off to Texas Motor Speedway, and then I'm, I can't wait for this. June 26th, Road America is back on the IndyCar calendar, and I can't wait. It's one of my favorite tracks in the world, and I, I, I can't wait for that race on IndyCar to go around there again. Like, I think they put the last champ car race on YouTube, King, and I think it was fantastic. I, there was an 18-year-old <laughs> Graham Rahal out there yeah. <laughs> diving down yeah. the inside of willpower into turn two, and I'm like, hmm, some things never change. <laughs> So, yeah, Road America on June 26th. Then on July 10th, Iowa again. Uh, then a week later on uh, July 17th, the streets of Toronto, it makes its return. Then two weeks after that, Mid-Ohio Mid is there. Will Graham Rahal retain after winning there last year on the route to the championship? Uh, then August 21st, we go to Pocono. And then two races in September to close out the season. The brand-new Grand Prix in Sarah's home state, the streets of Boston on September 4th. And then the season will wrap up on September 18th at Sonoma Raceway. Now, as King alluded to um, a couple of minutes ago, the rookie class this year is fantastic. Part-time and full-time, it, it looks superb. So we'll start with Alexander Rossi, who is joining the uh, Andretti team as a part of the BHA partnership with Ryan Herter. They'll be joining as the fourth car for Andretti. Uh, we all know uh, of Alexander Rossi's greatest, especially the world's biggest Mana fan, who, who happens to be on this podcast right now. <laughs> oh, I'm not. I'm not a Mana fan. I'm just a Rossi fan. I'm abandoning them this year because they abandoned my my guy. <laughs> <laughs> they're not. They're they're nothing to me anymore. Goodbye. Mana is dead to Sarah Connors. Yeah, <laughs> it's the end of an era. Oh dear. 
My brand is America. My brand is not Manor. So. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, if you follow her on Twitter, you will know exactly what I'm talking about. She's the most American person I've ever met. <laughs> in a good way. In a real, in a good way. Like, like, like all the good traits about America come <laughs> up in Sarah. They really do. Um, but yeah, Alexander Rossi was superb. Lost had a brilliant 2015 last year. Five F1 starts with Manor. I believe he won the driver head-to-head on four of those occasions against Will Stevens, including their joint best result of the season, that 12th place finish at home at Cota, which Sarah, you were at, weren't you? I was. We went to that ridiculous qualifying and everything. <laughs> yeah, like, hey, tell them a quick story about that Grand Prix because I know you had a quite the interesting experience given the incredible weather that the weekend had this past we did so that was actually my third time to coda for that race Mm -hmm. um and you know the two the two years beforehand it it was like 80 degrees the whole weekend it was beautiful sunny you know i got sunburned it was beautiful wonderful everything (laughs) so i i packed for the trip thinking that's how it would go Mm -hmm. um yeah it didn't. I brought one pair of shoes and I had to go buy new ones because they got so <laughs> ruined. Um, everything around Coda, because it's Texas, um, there's not a whole lot of grass. It's just very muddy and dirty. Um, so, you know, the hill up to turn one, you know, yes, it looks fantastic on TV. But to actually climb up that hill during that rainstorm, you oh, were God. sinking like ankle deep into these giant mud puddles that were flowing down the hill. There were people <laughs> falling everywhere. Oh, it looked, Jesus. It looked like freaking Woodstock. Like, I can't, I can't even begin to describe this, like, this mess to you. So <laughs> that, was, that was beautiful. Um, the Saturday, we actually... We, uh, every day we've, we've gone to this, we've been trying to get there, like when the gates open and they, they open at eight. Um, because the way it, the way it usually works is that they do autographs. So you run and you get your bracelet and then you can, you know, walk around the track and do whatever. And they, they have every team at a specific time. So you come back with your bracelet and you get in line and it's great. Yeah. Um, so we figured Saturday we'd get there at 6am and, you know, sit outside the gates and wait and be the first ones in line. We wake up at six and it's like a deluge. Like it's just disgusting outside. So we're like, okay, you know what? We're, they're probably not going to do the autographs. We can wait until like nine to head out there so we can minimize the time we're going to spend being drenched. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was at like eight or eight thirty that they put out the call that Coda was not opening until noon. Um, so we're, you know, and they ran, what did they run? Like FP3 or something? I, was it FP3? Must have been FP3. No. Yeah, yeah, FP3. I think it was. I think it was. With no one in the in the uh, in the track, so that was kind of weird. Um, qualifying still hadn't been canceled; it had been pushed back a little bit. So we were like, you know what? Fuck it. We're gonna go out there and we're gonna figure this out and see what happens. So luckily, we had general admission tickets, and they were still just letting everyone into the grandstand because it was covered. Thank God. Um, so we just stood under cover of the grandstand and watched all the teams do all those ridiculous things. Like, I think it was Sauber, uh, put a guy in a cart and was like pulling him around. Um, the force India guys were doing like a fake rowing thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, yeah, that was so funny. Ricardo and Kvyat came out and danced. Like it was just, it was really, it was fun. It was a good time. And then, you know, we stayed until they absolutely were like, no more. We're not doing qualifying today. Uh, and then they let us do a pit walk because we had all stuck around all day. So 
your patience, your patience was rewarded, and again, you, I don't know if you ever ended up watching it back on TV. It was even funnier seeing it live on all the hard cameras. Like it's it, as much as F1 is a cynical friggin' sport. Sometimes, like the the guys in there are a family bunch, and they know how to have a bit of fun every once in a while. That was, it was yeah, no, it was great. And then the actual race was was amazing. Um, race of the year. That, everything about it was great. There was one, there was one point where. Yeah, Rossi got up into 12th. I think he might have been even in 11th at one point. He was just, in the points. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, he had never actually got into the points. He was in oh, 11. Okay. 11, yeah, yeah. He was right on the edge. I was like, oh, God, could Rossi actually score a point if Alonso's engine conks out or something? Yes. <laughs> I was so excited. I was like, you guys, what if we're here for his first points in F1? I will not be able to handle anything. <laughs> I'm just, it like, was... slowly losing my mind. My friend is a Rosberg fan. She's also slowly losing her mind. Um, that last Hamilton's overtake on Rosberg was interesting. And then it, that's was, the, all. it was the gust of wind, Sarah. That's totally what caused it. <laughs> to say about that. Um, but yeah, we were, we were totally focused on Rossi the whole race. Like it was, it was so great. It was such a good time. Like despite the weather, we had an amazing time. Um, but yeah, that's my, that's my Coda story from last year. It's a Coda story. I, I, I loosely tied that into Alexander Rossi because I just wanted to get that one out there because that race was incredible and it deserved to be talked about more, quite frankly. But yeah, let's, let's talk to, let's talk about a bit about, a bit about Sarah's beloved Alexander Rossi on this occasion. He had a brilliant 2015 by of the Imagination runner up in the GP2 series to Stoffel Van Dorn. Um, in 2015, as well as the five F1 starts of man that he had, um, again looked very solid in all of them. Very unlucky, in in my opinion, to have ever lost that seat, lost his seat to Rio Harianto in the end. And hey, yeah. now he's here with the cool kids. Um, Sarah, I'll let you I'll let you start this one first. Obviously, there's a lot of talk about Rossi joining the series, and you know the lack of oval experience. I think is the one that was uh, one of the big key points that was taken away from his from his signing. How do you figure he'll do? I mean, he's he's got a good team around him to start out his IndyCar career for sure. Yeah, he's already done a couple interviews about it, and um, he's definitely very open about his lack of oval experience. Um, but he's also been very open about the fact that the team is helping him out a lot with that. And I think honestly. If he was going to pick a team to do this with, I think Andretti was the right one um, because, you know, they've got so much experience with that team. They've got, like, a really good support system around him. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see how he does, you know. Uh, obviously, St. Pete shouldn't be too much – I won't say too much of a challenge, but it shouldn't be too much of a um, digression from what he's used to. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then he tested at Phoenix, so – um, they haven't said much about that yet, but I'd love to hear kind of what his experience with Phoenix is like. Because Phoenix is definitely one of the weirder ones. It's that yes. so small, that little bull ring. Like, mm. um, it'll it'll definitely like um, I'll definitely be interested to see what he had to say about that. But uh, yeah, it's it's the ovals are are going to be a bit of a challenge, but the road courses in the um, the pre built ones should be fine. Yeah, uh, King, any yeah, any, uh, any thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, like he shouldn't have any problem with with the road courses that are, you know the permanent road courses and the ovals because IndyCar actually changed the rules this year to allow more in season testing. So Rossi oh, yes. will be able to t Rossi will be able to test at all the tracks before he actually races there. Oh. The only places he won't be able to test are obviously the street circuits. Yeah, well, I did not know that rule. So that's that's, that's even more of a benefit to a guy like Rossi that again has very little oval experience. So. It's it's a great move for you. Anything else you wanted to add there, Sarah? Um, no, that's. I mean, I'm super excited. Like you said, I think the rookie battle is going to be amazing. I mean, Connor's great. Max Chilton, 
actually showed that he was really good at ovals last year, which I didn't expect. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I can't wait to see how this shakes out for sure. Yeah. That was a beautiful segue there, Sarah. Much appreciated. Yeah, Max Chilton representing the Ganassi team uh, this year, again, as the number eight car this year. He was fifth in the Indy Lights Championship last season. I think he still missed a couple of rounds and still finished in the top five overall. He had that fantastic oval win at Iowa. Um, a, a beautiful time to get it, given that was uh, the same weekend as his, uh, his his good friend Jules passed away. And he, also, he was also on the podium five other times that season. He represented... The uh, Nismo GTRLM project project in 2015 as one of their drivers there. And, of course, he did two seasons with F1 with what was then the Mauritia team. King, um, we, we, like, we all, like, I think we said it on the podcast in its earlier days that it was cool to see more British guys that were willing to make the jump over to America and give Indy Lights a go. And I think Chilton carried himself very well in Indy Lights last year. And I think this was a, I think this is a great step up for him. What do you, what do you make of it all? Yeah, it's... It's a great step up for him, and honestly, out of any of the rookies we're going to talk about, I think he's the most prepared. He's mm. out. Connor Daly may have IndyCar starts, but he's not with the large four-car team. Not, Chilton not. is. He's with Ganassi, and he may have not driven, you know, the big car equipment last year. The lights, the lights will give you the track experience that you need. But he'll still need to adjust the equipment slightly. But I don't think it'll be a big jump for him since he's raced in Formula One. <laughs> yeah, that's very, very true indeed. Um, again, he was great in Indy Lights last year. It's, I think it's a great step up for him. And again, I don't think you'd want a better team in your corner than the Ganassi team. I mean, you've got Scott Dixon and Tony Kanaan right there over your shoulder to, to, to show you the way. And, you know, those two are, are absolutely fantastic drivers in their own right, of course. And, yeah, I'm, I'm again, Chilton is very much prepared. He, that season in the Lights probably did him the world of good to be in this kind of position. And I'm very excited to see how he gets along there as well. I mentioned it on YouTube as one of our highlight segments. Like a lot of people talked me down for this one for, for actually praising Chilton. And I know a lot of people mentioned other talents like Jack Harvey in there as well. And, you know, understandable. I, I get it. Like he wasn't the maybe the class of the field that year. We'll get we'll get to that in a minute. But um, I, I'm, I think Chilton's a, a very solid driver indeed. And, you know, I, I think he was a victim of circumstance the last couple of years with with Mauricio and and the, the Nismo project. I think it's very easy to slap the pay driver label on a guy like him, but uh, I think he's a very solid driver and he was, and he think he proved it this year in Indy Lights, first time out, finishes in the top five of a race win. I think you can't say much more than that for a guy at his first attempt. Now, <laughs> the cool kid in here. <laughs> Indiana's finest, Connor Daly, represented the Dale Coyne racing team. Um, he was superb in 2015 as well. Finished five, uh, finished in five IndyCar races last year. Was 22nd at the Indy 500 a couple of years ago in 2013. Was third in the GP3 series in 2013. He was Star Matter champion in 2010. And um, King, he was excellent last year because he he was more like the driver for hire of the series <laughs> um, in in 2015. Filled in um, for Dale Coyne at Long Beach and uh, was one of the fastest guys out there in that car. Filled in for Hinchcliffe after the Indy 500 accidents, obviously, and had that legendary run um, at the at Detroit race. T. Rowe very nearly won that race. If it only had rained a little bit more, he'd have been he'd been in a perfect spot to try and win the race. But he finished, I think, in sixth place that day. But overall, Daly was very impressive when he filled in last year, and I think that this is a this 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 is a great opportunity for him to show what he can really do. 
Yeah, so yes, especially now he has a full-time seat. He doesn't have to worry about this being his one-off chance. He has it for the whole year. And he's always been knocking at the door, knocking at the door, but he just never had enough backing to get his own seat. So he's been, you know, number one guy to replace someone else and fill their seat. So I think, oh, like, I don't want to say he's going to be better than he did, better than he was last year, but I'm really leaning towards saying that. that that he's going to be more relaxed in the car. But, yeah, I, I'd say I just want to see him actually, you know, race at Indianapolis in a car full time because last year, obviously, he didn't even see the green flag. Poor guy in that broken fuel cell. That's something out of a Terminator movie. Uh, Sarah, like, I know you're a huge Quantity fan as well. Where do you gauge him going into this season? I think him definitely having a full season is is hopefully going to make him more relaxed in the car. I, I definitely agree with that. Um, I think also if he doesn't catch it on fire at the Indy 500, that'll be a step up from normal. And <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm excited to see him drive. I mean, I thought he was pretty impressive filling in, filling in for um, on the Dale Coyne team last year. So yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, all, all yeah thumbs, all thumbs up all around for Connor Daly. Um, next up, the part-time rookies, um, Matthew Brabham, representing uh, Paratech Team Murray. It's a car prepared by KVSH. Um, he'll race in the Grand Prix of Indianapolis and the Indy 500. He was fourth in Indy Lights in 2014. He's done a, a lot of racing in America. Pro Master Champion 2013, USF Formula 2000 Champion um, in there as well. And he, another part-time rookie, will be uh, the, the reigning Indy Lights Champion, Spencer Pino, representing Rahul Letterman Lanigan Racing. He'll race at St. Petersburg and Indianapolis and attempt the 500 as well. Obviously, the Indy Car Champion, sorry, Indy Lights Champion, getting free race starts automatically. Um, so King, two two fairly young, two, but two very very fast talents here rep- representing part time. What's your read on these two? Because I, I I don't know enough about Spencer <laughs> to really comment, but obviously you do. So I'm gonna let you take the lead on this one. Yeah, I mean Spencer Piggott. Piggott was you know top of the class in Indy Lights last year. A lot of people felt I don't know. Uh, they felt rubbed the wrong way when Rossi and Chilton came over from Europe and took the full-time seats available. And they kind of felt like, why shouldn't the Indy lights champion get a full-time ride next year? And, uh, I could see where they're coming from, but obviously this is, you know, a business and Spencer Pickett only had his light sponsorship to move up with and didn't have enough to pay for a full-time ride. Brab, on the other hand, like you probably remember Brab because he had he had a one-off in um, in Formula E last year. Yes, in Uruguay, and he he spun into the wall and he was memed into oblivion. (laughs) (laughs) When Bay doesn't love you anymore, and you just see the picture of (laughs) of him looking dejected (laughs) over the barricade, sitting to himself in the fetal position. Poor guy. Because I think he was in about, I think he was in the top eight at that point in time when he spun it and crashed. Poor, uh, poor Matty Brabham. So uh, nice to see he's recovered from that highly emotional experience, King. <laughs> yeah, like these two, these two are probably the top of the American feeder ladder. Like they're 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 the cream of the crop of the class that that have developed on this side of the pond compared to, you know, Chilton, Chilton Daly and Rossi who've all mainly raced in europe 
Yeah, I, could, I couldn't agree more. They are pretty much the top of the pile in America. Um, looking forward to seeing how they get along. Spencer, I did see a couple of Indy Lights races last year. Spencer looked really frigging quick. So I'm curious to see how he, how, how he settles into the fold. I hope he gets a full-time seat because that, that, that should be the entire point of Indy Lights, really. Ultimately, that should be the goal. You, you'd like to see a feeder system like that happen. But obviously, as King quite rightly says, business is business sometimes, and it just doesn't work out that way. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely pulling for Spencer in this case, and I hope he gets uh, a, a really great run out of his opportunity. Now, the other part-time drivers in the field, we'll, we'll give them a quick rundown. Pippa Mann, representing Dale Coyne, she'll be back for the Indy 500 this year. Um, only raced in ovals last year, finished 22nd in the Indy 500, um, 24th in 2014, and finished 30th in 2013, King. Now, we all know Pippa is you know there for, for you know, more, more for charity reasons as well representing um, Susan G Conan as well um, and breast cancer awareness but uh, always great to see Pippa on the grid yeah yeah she's she may be one of I would say oh, it's hard to say older because in IndyCar older is like 40s and she's nowhere yeah. near that yeah exactly but she, she's improving last year 22nd as you said it's like slowly moving up the order getting quicker and quicker at the speedway Maybe I'm hoping top 20 at the Speedway this year for Pippa. Yeah, I remember interviewing her on Downforce Radio um, last year, and she said her aim last year was getting to the top 20. Was, she was just short last year. Um, yeah, she's not the only uh, female part-timer in the in the field this year. Uh, everybody's new favorite female driver, Catherine Legg, it will be there representing the uh, Grace Autosport project. Um, she, yeah, we all know. Well, if you, get, if you guys were short on that one, she represented the Delta Wing project at Daytona this year. And she was 26th in the Indy 500 back in 2013 with Schmidt Peterson. But um, And Grace Autosport, we all, as you may or may not know, will be an all female team um, with, with Catherine leading the charge. Now, I think it's fair to say, uh, Sarah and Kendra Ryan here, that I think it's impossible not to root for Catherine now after that unbelievable stint she did in the Delta Wing. Oh, that um, was incredible. It, it, I mean, considering yeah. how, like, not good that car is usually, like, this was this is incredible. And just seeing her, you know, race the way she was racing was just so much fun. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I, it was my first time I'd watched the Daytona 500 like that. The, 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 sorry, the 24 hours of Daytona, I should say. Um, and she was incredible. Like I know the Delta Wing had kind of been laughed off a couple of a couple of years prior, but uh, seeing the car finally realize its potential, and then having Catherine do that unbelievable stint from from the back of her class to lead the race after three and a half hours again was was just an insane effort. And again, the fans picked up on that, and I think they gave it a Spirit Award for the race as well, which was just which was, which was just superb. Um, King, and how how what's what's your faith in the Grace Autosport project then? Because you know like. The the press of a it's an all female team will inevitably raise a few eyebrows. Uh, I mean, the team is led by someone who is probably could get like be team principal at any of these IndyCar teams. Beth Peretta, she mm. she used to run uh, Dodge's IMSA program, the Viper program, and you know they won a championship before you know big bad Sergio Marchionne from Fiat came over and <laughs> shut down the program. Yeah, yeah. Sergio wasn't great about that whole not winning thing. Um, yeah, it's like, how, how does our, how does Ferrari's sister team, the Viper team, come over and beat Ferrari during Ferrari's 60th anniversary in the United States? 
That is every salty six-year-old that's thrown on a monopoly board in disgust after losing. <laughs> like, I didn't want to play anyway, <laughs> basically. But, um, Take my ball, I'm going home. <laughs> yeah, didn't want to play anyway, I'm taking my ball. Game's over, everybody. <laughs> so, Beth Beretta knows how to win. And, I don't know, I think in terms of her wanting to win, they've been pulling back on it'll be an all-female team rhetoric to more recently I've been seeing, oh, there'll be females in key engineering, management, and mechanics positions. So I think they're trying to tone it down. Okay, so they've kind of diluted it a little bit. I mean, I did did always think that the whole all-female team rhetoric was a little bit ambitious. Um, But... I mean, I think it's a good idea. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But, um... You know, in practice, you know, having dudes in supporting roles is not that big of a deal. As long as the women are in all the key roles. Um, it's good. I mean, it's good publicity. It's good for, uh, you know, making IndyCar look a lot more innovative and equal than certain other series that we will not speak of right now. <clears throat> uh, WEC. <clears throat> uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, but I no. Mean... I... Go on, Kay. Yeah, but I mean, this is this is IndyCar. They've always been ahead of the curve when it comes to diversity. What, like, I think four or five years ago, there was an Indy 500 where four women took where four women took the start. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's crazy. That, that, that I did not know. But yeah, obviously, again, wishing Catherine all the best. She was superb at Daytona, and uh, again, I would love to see that momentum continue of a great Indy 500. Uh, the other two part timers. <laughs> The return of the homeboy, Sage Karen, representing you know, Dre and Reinbold, will be attempting the 500 this year, just the 500. It's a shame. Now, I know people have made much of my well-publicized beef with Mr. Karen on last, on last edition of the podcast, episode 19, in case you're wondering. Um, <laughs> but... Um, I was gutted when Sage lost his seat because as much as Sage was a little bit reckless here and there, he was superb on the ovals last year. Like, he was super fast on many occasions. He was the kind of guy that would creep up out of nowhere and next thing you know, he's in the top 10. And, like, Sage is raw. And he was ruthless as well. I mean, he almost ran a carpenter in the ball. It's like the holy grail of oval races out there on the full-time scene. You can't run carpenter into the wall. <laughs> what are you doing? And that was one of my funniest moments of the season there where where carpenter was just absolutely seething with rage. <laughs> That was beautiful. And I love that all the drivers would like allude to that. (laughs) Just like, oh my God, these guys really. It's like Carlos, I think it was Carlos Munoz who was right there and he didn't have any idea what to do. As as Carpenter basically just pointed at at Karam and said, I don't like your fucking driving, man. (laughs) (laughs) Which which is absolutely hilarious. But yeah, I I, I do wish we can find Sage some shirts. First of all, that's the most important thing here. But also... A full-time ride because I, th- I think Sage is, is, a, is a great talent with all due respect to him. And um, again, yeah. lucky for him, he's 21. Exactly. You know, he's got he's got years ahead of him. So like, the fact he's that good at 20 is scary enough in the first place. Um, given he's that comfortable and that fast on an oval at that age already, I mean, he will be back. I'm dead. I'm dead certain on that. At some point, the kid is too talented not to be. Someone will give him a break. I think. I think that will definitely happen. And he shared the number eight car with um, Sebastian Saavedra last year, but he's just here for the 500 this time around. If he doesn't wreck it at turn one again, King, I think he's got a real good chance to win the damn thing. Yeah, I'd say, I'd say, I don't know how fast the Dreyer Ronball equipment will let him go, mm. but I think 
top 10 is definitely a possibility. Yeah, definitely. I think he was in the top 10 a couple of times. Last. I think it was fifth in Fontana, that fantastic race last season. I think Sable was right up there um, a couple of times. So, yeah, definitely looking forward to that. And uh, uh, a couple of other perennial uh, Indian <laughs> part-timers. Brian Clawson is here. Oh, Brian, Brian Clawson. <laughs> it's like, I still remember, like, on, on this, I saw this great post on the IndyCar subreddit, and it was if all the IndyCar drivers were ultimate team cards, like out of FIFA. And, like, I think somebody described Ryan Clawson as, like, the Ed Carpenter, but without the wins. <laughs> yeah. Because... <laughs> harsh like that. <laughs> Br- Brian Clawson is basically... Uh, how do I put this? Uh, an, an IndyCar purist wet In In what sense? <laughs> um, he... The way... He's basically what most IndyCar purists want, like, how they want their drivers to move up to the ranks. He's he's mainly good on dirt ovals, and that's how kind of they want IndyCar drivers to develop by doing first, you know, doing sprint midgets, then going up to full sprint cars, and then eventually moving into Indy Lights than IndyCar, which realistically cannot be done today because dirt ovals have nothing to do with IndyCar anymore. No, exactly. Like, like I thought, wait, dirt ovals? To IndyCar? Like, I, I first heard that and I thought, huh? Doesn't quite make any sense. But, um, yeah, now I know why, because it doesn't. <laughs> but uh, he's doing the Indy 500 this year as part of the Chasing 200 Tour Circular Insanity. And I'm reading King's notes as, 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 as I look down my page, and it says, with an annual schedule that routinely features more than 120 races, in 2016, Brian Clawson will attempt a wholly unprecedented motorsports feat as he will run a schedule consisting of 200 races. King, that is a quote directly from BrianClawson.com. <laughs> King, is he mental? Uh, no, these dirt track guys race everywhere almost every weekend, maybe even two or three different tracks on a given weekend. It depends how close the tracks are to each other. Yeah, so it's really not that ridiculous for a dirt tracker like Clawson then, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, um, so that that's a fun thing there. Uh, so, yeah, good luck to Brian Clawson. Maybe one time we'll crack the top 30. Uh, <laughs> oh, God, Dre. And the final part-timer, oh, I was savage on that one, wasn't I, is um, the person that's basically the combined age of all three of us on this podcast, and just for the record, Sarah's the oldest of us by a considerable margin. Sorry, Sarah. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> the big 3-0. <laughs> the big 3-0. God bless you. It's Buddy Lazier from Lazier. Lazier Partners Racing. He's attempting the Indy 500 at the grand age of 48. <laughs> um, King, I think I'm right in saying he's older than the pair of us combined. <laughs> um, yes, yes, he is. I'm 23, and I think you're 22, right? Yeah, I'm 22. God damn it. <laughs> we're so old! <laughs> <laughs> no, we're not! No, we're not! Well, we're really not, but we, we, we just sound like it because we, we just sound like own bony gits, basically. But so, yeah, as you probably are aware, Buddy Lazier won the Inverter back in 1996. He hasn't raced in IndyCar full-time since 2003. Uh, has attempted to qualify for the 524 times in the last 27 years and has failed to qualify on eight separate occasions most recently oh last year uh, but hey so he's actually he's actually sponsored by Jonathan Bird who uh, is also sponsoring Connor Daly this year which is a interesting yes. so yeah he's taking him on for the team and giving Laser his uh, 25th shot <laughs> hey hey I mean oh I mean 
I'm not saying his Indy 500 win was a fluke, but I mean, <laughs> it took some, it literally took there being a breakaway series for him to win an Indy 500. <laughs> uh, and you thought I was bad with the Clawson reference. <laughs> Don't even try that with me. Um, so that's all the parts I'm just taking care of. Now to the, uh, the uh, very promisingly titled section of the Kings laid out called Teams Without Wins in 2015. Thanks a lot, King. <laughs> <laughs> you, you beacon of positivity, you. Uh, first up, the AJ Foyt team. Uh, they were, they're retaining their lineup from last year with uh, Takuma Sato. Um, I'm not going to say the famous catchphrase I like to come out with when it comes to Takuma Sato. You, you know the one. <laughs> um, and, Brit- and Britain's own Jack Hawksworth, who nobody in Britain cares about. Poor guy. Uh, <laughs> Now, Sato last year, Sarah, had a couple of flashes of, of brilliance. Like, I think he was second in Detroit. I think it was race two in that race. He was second. And we, we all know Sato is fast on occasion, and he'll, he'll, he'll break out a, a good day every, every maybe every eight, ten races or whatever. But is, is it ever going to come around for Takuma? I don't think so, honestly. I really don't. He's great. I mean... The race I went to, he actually was in the top six for a good chunk of it. Uh, Which race was that? But, yeah, I don't think so, no. <laughs> yeah, um, again, Takuma, was, he, was, he was 14th in the 2015 standings, so right in the middle of the pack there, 13th for the Indy 500. Um, and, of course, looking at this highlight result there was second uh, in that second race in Detroit, finishing behind Sebastian Bourdais. Um which what a weird race that that was a very that was a very weird race it was like like if you have never seen detroit race 2 it, the whole thing is on youtube go out of your way to find it it's pretty like it's not the greatest race of that season but it's still pretty crazy because everything that probably could have happened in a grand prix happened <laughs> Quite a bit. Hey, don't, tell, don't tell people that wasn't the greatest race that season that's my favorite race that season <laughs> better than fontana Yes, yes. Wow. I might have to rewatch it in that case. Uh, maybe I'm not giving it maybe I'm not, maybe I'm not giving it enough credit. <laughs> Go on, sir, what you were saying? Oh no no no, never mind. Never mind. Yeah, yeah, but um <laughs> I gotta, I gotta get the race rewatch because, like, I must admit, like the, 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 the best part of that race obviously was daily leading, and then, like, I think it was, I don't know who took the other one out, but it was, I think it was overturned too. I think it was Power and Castro Nevis colliding, and just imagine how <laughs> awkward that Penske garage must have been. <laughs> like, Roger Penske probably killed somebody, like Darth Vader that day. <laughs> Um, do we, do we even talk about Jack Horsworth at this point, King? Like, there's not much to really talk about there, really, is there? <laughs> he was there. He was there. <laughs> we can confirm. Just... <laughs> like, if, if, if there is a school day, Hawksworth wins the attendance award. Like, <laughs> writing up the notes, I had to try to find, like, a highlight of the season. And the highlight was he finished seventh in both Detroit races. Well, that's pretty good, right? <laughs> we'll take it, right? Oh, God, there really isn't much to talk about at all with Hawksworth, really, is there? <laughs> but his mini poster proudly hangs on my wall thanks to sarah <laughs> like the fun story about that is that we actually first met each other on a formula e like stream hangout yeah that's right because they don't stream formula e live in america ha 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 so they're playing the friggin snooker over the mexico grand prix this this weekend it's the worst <laughs> like, don't even remind me of this but yeah 
like, like, like we first met on, on a Formula E hangout and she was giving away an Oliver Turvey signed poster because she just didn't really need it anymore. And I was like, hey, I'll take it. <laughs> and then she threw in a couple of other cool posters. So my light switch in my bedroom is now beautifully decorated with uh, Oliver Turvey, uh, Marco Andretti and Jack Hawksworth. So, uh, yay. <laughs> Tried to fit in the, um, the Graham Rahal on a stick but it would not fit in the poster tube. <laughs> so instead of giving out autograph cards, Graham Rahal gives out like little cutouts of himself on a little stick. So you can, it's seriously ridiculous. I'll send you a picture later, but um, no, that, that, yeah. that, that sounds like the cheesiest thing ever. Oh, I want it. <laughs> More on Mr. Rahal later, but uh, Hawksworth, yep, he wins the attendance award. He he, he showed up. That, that's... I would honestly argue that AJ Foyt Racing is probably the most boring IndyCar team. Yes. That, I, I, think, <laughs> I, think, I, think, I think they've won that award by a landslide. Like, yeah. how can a team of Takuma Sato be so boring? <laughs> Somehow they manage. <laughs> The, uh, we haven't mentioned the other driver of Dale Coyne this year, mo- making the move from uh, CFH to um, Dale Coyne this year. Luca Filippi, um, who was 21st in the standings last year, raced 10 out of the 16, did not race the ovals. He has never tried the Indy 500. He will for the first time this year. And, of course, he was one half of the brilliant one-two that uh, the that uh, CFH had at Toronto last year, King. Now, we all know Philippe is, is more of a, a, a tracks, track guy. Is, is he going to cope okay on the ovals, I wonder? And is he is he due to have one of those great big flash-in-the-pan performances like we got in Toronto last year? Uh, I think we could see him really shine on the street courses, but I'm not particularly sure about the ovals. I know he's telling people he's confident, but... That's uh, what every I, says. <laughs> yeah, that's what every driver says. They're not going to say otherwise. But he has, you know, zero experience. What? He's from Monaco. They don't even have, like, enough room in that country to host an oval. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, you could put the entire you could put the entire circus on one average American oval. <laughs> that's yes. probably far off, actually. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, Luca Filippi, the, the, the guy to look out for on a street circuit, on any given street circuit, he can, he can contend. He's very, very fast on the street tracks, for sure. Not sure about everywhere else, but that's going to be one of the intriguing things to keep an eye on this year. Now we move to the teams with wins. Thanks for the optimism there, King. Uh, <laughs> bottom of the list on that regard, KVSH and Sebastian Bordet, the one-man wrecking crew of uh, KVSH, the four-time Champ Car champion from, consecutively from 2004 to 2007. He was 11th at the Indy 500 last year and had two wins, in fact, the second race in Detroit. Minor spoiler there. And and Milwaukee, he won the Milwaukee World. King's favourite race on the calendar. So, uh... King loves Borde and he loves Milwaukee. He probably went crazy that night, didn't you, King? <laughs> yes, yes. I should just note that Milwaukee is not on the calendar this year. Boo! <laughs> <laughs> Milwaukee was fun last year. Like, I thought the track and thought, oh, it's going to be terrible. It was actually a pretty good race. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I like Phoenix better, so. <laughs> yeah, okay, fair enough. <laughs> we, we, we've forgotten about it. Never happened. <laughs> The only highlight I can remember from that race was Paul Tracy complimenting Sebastian Bourdais and thinking that is the craziest thing I've ever heard in my oh, life. Oh, yeah. 
It was it was like hell froze over. It was like <laughs> it was like if if Alonzo said, "Yeah, Hamilton really was better than me in 2007." <laughs> oh my god! Look, you you have a better chance of me marrying Jennifer Lawrence than Fernando Alonso ever admitting that <laughs> ever, quite frankly. But um, Sebastian Bourdais is a perennial top tier dude. He, he he's one of those dudes that has a chance of winning any given race. He's a very very good all rounder. Um. One to watch for sure, King. I'm not sure if KVSH has the tools to get in there, but we all know he's a brilliant bloody driver, so who knows, right? Yeah, he, he might not get a win next year, but he's certainly going to drag that thing through a couple podiums. Yo, he's, it's Sebastian Bordeaux. I said it before. Bordeaux's one of the most underappreciated drivers <laughs> ever. Uh, but Bordeaux is a friggin' monster, quite frankly, so I, I, I desperately want to see him win another IndyCar title just to get to, just to get to five. Would, would, would be amazing. But uh, any thoughts on Bordeaux going in, Sarah? Um, aside from Will Power's brother hating him, uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, he's fun to watch. I I, I honestly, uh, his car's livery was one of the most exciting things about IndyCar last year, honestly. Oh, yes. Uh, the, that, like, bright green, like, what? If the, if the Green Lantern had a car. <laughs> it, would be, it would absolutely be that. No, I think I think you're right. Like, he, he always has a chance to challenge for some points, and, um, yeah, he'll be fun to watch. Absolutely, and that and that 2016 livery looks mean. <laughs> so, um, so that that definitely want to keep an eye out for on track as well. Borde definitely a perennial top two dude. Definitely one to look out for over the course of the season. Will will no doubt challenge for for you know meaty results. I think over the course of the year. Um, the newly re- renamed Ed Carpenter racing after um, Fisher and Hartman had to depart. It's now essentially a one and a half car team. Um, led by <laughs> one of the great, great characters of IndyCar, and that is the Brosif, Joseph Newgarden, seventh in the 2015 championship, um, ninth in the Indy 500. Uh, uh, we got two wins as well, Barber in Toronto, and a couple of second places in Iowa and Pocono as well. And Sarah, I think it's fair to argue that if it wasn't for Graham Rahal, I think he'd be the breakout star of 2015, and he was magnificent last season. Oh, yeah. No, easily. Um, I thought that his race in Toronto, I actually had not watched it live. I went back and watched it a couple months ago. Mm. Uh, he drove beautifully. Um, Perfect. Perfect. You know, he always he always fights for wins. Like, it's super exciting. Um I'm really glad that everything with that team worked out, even after Fisher Hartman bowed out. Mm-hmm. Um, they could still give him a car. Uh, his car this year looks amazing. Um, best, have you best seen livery? Liver- yeah, best livery in the field. It looks, it, it's it's a beauty. White, those it's got faded the gold. bricks in the white are oh, so nice. Oh, yeah, uh, beautiful. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I, I cannot wait to see what he does this year, um, especially if they... I, one of the, one of his big stumbling blocks last year was that his pit crew didn't really always have their shit together. Mm. For example, the last, last race of the season, he caught on fire in pit lane. Yeah, that was that was not great. Um, From second as well. Get, yeah, yeah. If they can get their business together um, and actually give him a good support system, I think you know we might see him challenge for the championship this year. Completely agreed. He was eligible for the championship right until that final round. He was second um, right when that failure happened in the pits and his car caught fire. And I thought, no, Brosif. But um, King, I mean, I'd I'd like to see a little bit more from Joseph, but I think overall, I mean, what a season he had last year. I think the, the best thing I can say about Joseph last year was 
he was great everywhere. <laughs> yeah, he was great everywhere. He definitely has a bright, bright future ahead of him. The only thing I could say that could hold him back this year is, you know, being at Ed Carpenter Racing. That's like the only thing that's yes. holding him back. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, which is unfortunate, which is unfortunate, yeah. but it's a it's a fact. Because yeah, he, he was the big free agent name going into the offseason. A lot of people had him hinted for the number eight car at Ganassi, and they, they seemed like a natural fit. But everyone's like, oh, they've retained him. Brilliant for them because they've got a star driver right there in, in New Garden. Hey, if you're a new fan listening to this, New Garden is one of the funniest dudes in IndyCar, period. <laughs> Did you see that egg video? Oh, God, yes. <laughs> he got, like, what was that accent he was speaking with in that video? And it's it's supposed to be Russian, because Russians let... It's, it was brilliant. Like I said before, New Garden, I, I proudly rep his, his, his shirt from last year, and he, he's a brilliant character. And, hey, if you, if you want a new guy to support, I'd probably put him right near the top of that list. Joseph Newgarden is brilliant. Um, definitely one of the perennial, I think, top contenders to keep an eye on for this year as well. And, of course, uh, running the ovals will be Ed Carpenter, as always. Um, 27th last year in the championship, and obviously because he only runs the ovals. He was 30th at the Indy 500, didn't have a really good day. I think he was in a... It was one of those really early kind of reckless um, passing attempts. I think I, don't, I can't remember who tried to pass him like that, but it was... Uh, Bit of an aggressive overtake that didn't quite go his way, and uh, Carpenter nearly killed Sage Karam as well later in that season. Uh, off the track, uh, amazingly. Uh, a couple of decent results, sixth place in Iowa last year, 10th in Milwaukee, but uh, King, not much to really talk about with Carpenter. Maybe the old magic will come back, but yeah, meh, really? Is, is that fair to say? Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it's, it's hard to, you know, shine in the spotlight when you only run the ovals because Ed Carpenter knows he's useless on the road courses, so he gave up doing that years ago. Mm. But that was in the hopes of him winning a lot of these oval races, and it hasn't come true. Yes, like two years ago, he won, you know, 2013, 20, 2014, he won pole for the Indianapolis 500. I don't, I can't recall a time when any driver won pole for the Indy 500 back to back. That's pretty crazy. Yet he hasn't been able to capitalize on that at all. He still has no Indy 500 wins to his name while being the one of the best oval racers in the series. Yeah, it's it's not a good look if you drop the street tracks purely for ovals, but then the ovals haven't really worked out either. We all know he's very capable on ovals. As King says, one of the best overrunners in the world, but it's just not really come together for him so far. Maybe now he's the main guy of the, of the team. Maybe he'll put a bit more into it and see if we can uh, get Carpenter back up the front again. Moving on to Schmidt-Peterson, and uh, thank God I can still talk about this guy. James Hinchcliffe, the mayor of Hinchtown himself. Um, how grateful we are as a series that he is back at full health after that horrific accident at Indy last year. Um, that He was just minutes from dying. He was only 23rd in the standings last year for obvious reasons. Only raced in five rounds, and he obviously withdrew from the infunded after that horrific you know, season-ending injury where a suspension bar turned him into a shish kebab. As you see, he'd be the first person to tell you because only Hinchcliffe could heart, could, could really you know laugh about such or such a dangerous incident. And of course, last year he won that uh, rather crazy race in New Orleans. Um, bit of a washout, fair to say. But uh, Hinchcliffe um, kind of won the lottery on that one. But uh, King, it's great to have Hinch back. Yeah, it's great, great to have him back. Oh, I would like say he's 
I wouldn't say he's my favorite driver, but he's always pushing to be my favorite driver. <laughs> Look, I have no bones about it. Hinchcliffe is, is my favorite driver, maybe in all of motorsport. And I am a huge Sebastian Vettel fan, and I have no problem admitting that Hinchcliffe is right <laughs> up there. Like, the man is a genius. He is ridiculously charismatic and, and hilarious. Again, another guy that if you're new to the series and you want a guy you want to support... Hinchcliffe is probably top of the list. Um, if you've subscribed to the IndyCar channel, go watch his Quest for the Crown series. It's hilarious. <laughs> like, he, he goes all in to try and be the indie princess, and it has hilarious entails. But from a competitive standpoint, it's, it's, it's going to be hard to get a read on Hinch. And uh, He's won three races. We know that he is a very solid all-rounder um, when he's on it. And is it fair to say, Sarah, that the Schmidt-Peterson move hasn't been as great on paper as I think many of us figured it would be? Um, You know, honestly, it's hard to get a read on it, like you said, mm. just because he really didn't get to run that much last year. Yeah, uh, exactly. I think it'll be, you know, obviously, once we see the whole season, we'll be able to make that judgment. But, um, yeah, no, I mean, I want to see I want to see how he starts out, you know, whether he can put up some good results or not. Um, and then really kind of make that decision. Um, I did have a little side note, though. Uh, there is a really great website called The Players' Tribune. I don't know if you've heard of it. Yes. Uh, so where it's, you know, athletes from all walks of life, you know, narrate a story or whatever to someone who transcribes it. And th- these stories are fantastic. Mm. Um, Hinch did one, actually, recently about getting back in the car. After yeah, I that, yeah. Huge accident. So if you are listening to this, you should go find that and read yeah. it. It's great. Completely agree. It's, 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 it's a very well done piece. And um, Hinch is, like I said, he's one of the great personalities in motorsport. He can be serious, but he's also a brilliant laugh, a, a great guy to be around. And while well, a real great ambassador for the series, I've said motorsport needs more dudes like Hinch. And I'm glad IndyCar is, 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 is going to have him back for this year because he's a very, very talented dude as well as being completely hilarious um he'll be teaming up with michaela leshin replacing james jakes as he heads to manners wec team fake sarah it's the part of manny you actually like all, all the nice people are <laughs> i know no i'll be following them actually so that should be good yeah it's, it's, it's all the likable guys from the old manor <laughs> um but yeah michaela leshin will be filling in for him um just uh, only raced at simone the last year but finishing the top 10 a very solid result for, for michaela indeed um 16th overall in 2014 his last full season um and that's and that 2014 season he was second at the second race in houston king now it's been a while since election has, has driven full time it's been a couple of years now any idea where you think he could end up uh i mean the one race he drove last year the season finale in sonoma where he finished 10th that was great after not running for like Superb result. a year mm, Superb result. <laughs> yeah it's like, hopefully everything goes fine. I know recently he did something really stupid and decided to tweet out a picture of his visa. Whoa, 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 whoa. That ain't good. Yeah, he quickly deleted it. Hopefully no one knows where he lives. Oh, no. That, that, that would be nice. <laughs> so, uh, visa issues aside, potentially. Um, I, I know Aleshin is very fast. Shout out to Danny Brennan, who I know will be listening to this because he hates Aleshin because he, he digitally took Connor Daly's potential Schmidt Peterson seats away. Um, relax, Danny. You, you can get over it now, I promise. Um, yeah. but, but a very fast guy, and, and again, a good opportunity for Schmidt Peterson to see how he does. 
Quick note to Rahal Letterman Lanigan Racing and again, I'd say the breakout star of 2015, Graham Rahal, who was fourth overall in the standings. He was like the great hope, not only for Honda, who struggled as a manufacturer this season, but probably Honda's entire motorsport division, given the struggles of their MotoGP team and then McLaren Honda as well. Graham Rahal put the entire brand on his back last year. Um, won two races in 2015, Fontana and Mid-Ohio, second at Barber and, and the uh, Indianapolis Grand Prix, third at Detroit Race 2 and Milwaukee, fourth overall, fifth in the Indy 500. King, has Ray Hall got it in him again? Because like, Ray Hall was just seemingly just another one of those. Like, he had the curse, like 120, I think, plus races of, between him and his first and second wins. And he seemed to have struggled a little bit in the midfield, but 2015, he was astonishing. I mean, can he keep that up for another year? Yes, like I really want to believe it. Like right now, Ray, like Ray Hall staying a one car team, they're, they're expanding for two for the 500, mm-hmm. but it shouldn't affect their season that much. They, It's like, it's pretty much as long as they could keep up with the four car teams, Graham should be right there. And, and it seems like Graham's going to be pretty much there at Ray Hall for the foreseeable future because I know Andretti has signed um, their three main guys for two-year deals, so they're there for 2016 and 2017. I don't know about the other teams, but all the other four-car lineups seem fairly stable, so it seems like Graham is going to have to stick with his father's team and see what happens. Yep, he's going to be the fawn in the side of the four cooperations for years to come, especially if his dad keeps being sassy on Twitter. <laughs> Remember that one, King? Yes, yes. Bobby Rahal pissed off the entire nation of France by basically accusing Tristan Vautier and Sebastian Bourdieu of being unable to drive properly. <laughs> Whoops. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like I was, I was just expecting all the French kids at my university just go down to the Bobby Rahal car dealership and egg the place. Oh <laughs> uh, maybe maybe just maybe just see if a bag of croissants outside the door or something. Ha <laughs> ha, French joke. Um, but let's let's quickly get to the rest of the four car teams and the who we haven't mentioned yet. First up, Andretti and Ryan Hunter Ray, who had a very very mixed bag season last year, I think it's fair to say. He was sixth overall by the time the standings finished down because he had that very solid late run at the end. Um, obviously, 2014 Indy 500 winner. Only finished 15th last year. Um, but he, he won in Iowa and Pocono and um, second at Sonoma at the season finale. Sarah, it was kind of a really mixed season because I think for the good first half, Hunter was literally the worst of the Andretti dudes, which was just inconceivable given he's kind of like that team's spiritual leader in the NODHL car, but he really clawed it back towards the end of the season. Like, which Hunter are we going to get next season? (laughs) Yeah, you know, honestly, I'm hoping that, you know, for the sake of competition, I hope that his late run in the season there kind of translates to this year. Um, especially because it'd be great to see that car up at the front of the field. <laughs> it looks so great. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I'm hoping that's what, that's what ends up shaking out. Uh, cause you're right. Yeah. He was right in the mix kind of at the end of the season there, um, which was not the case at the beginning. Um, so we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Indeed. Yeah. Any extra thoughts on that King? Yeah. Like I pretty much echo the same sentiment as Sarah. It's like, I'm just, 
like Reinhardt Ray is probably up there, one of my favorite drivers in the field. I I just love the guy. I just I want him to do well. I just it's so frustrating. It's so frustrating when I see him not only like do poorly, but also be the worst in his team. Which which happened on quite a few occasions. At one point, Simona was doing better than than, than him. Which again, no, no disrespect to Simona, but like, huh? <laughs> like that's not that's that's not what you normally expect out of Ryan Hunter, right? Who's again is one of the top names in the field for sure. Um, but yeah, again, it's gonna it's gonna be a strange one to watch for Hunter Ray because again, we all know he's capable of, of winning almost any given race on any given day on paper, but. Um, yeah, like which Hunter are we, we going to get the good one at the end of the year or the relatively bad one at the start of the season? That's one to keep an out for. Next up, Mr. Snapplecap himself, Marco Andretti. Um, finished ninth in 2015, 6th in the Indy 500. Uh, still has not won the Indy 500. You've got to break the curse, Marco. Come on, man. But he was basically last year king, Mr. Consistency. Yeah, yeah. If, like, you wanted, if you wanted consistent, like... If you, if you wanted to finish high up in the field but not win, you called Marco. <laughs> you wanted just to, okay, we don't want to win, Marco. Just, you know, top five, top five. Because he, <laughs> he had four of those last season. Second in Detroit race one, third at Fontana, and fifth in uh, Detroit race two, and in Texas. Um, Sarah, now, Marco Andretti, obviously, being a man of the name, is going to, of course, be safe as houses in that kind of operation. But He's never. I don't think he's taken that next step forward where he can be like a perennial title threat, where he can go out and win a couple of races. Like I think the ultimate upside just isn't quite there yet. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think honestly his upset is his name. He's he's lucky in that regard. Um, <laughs> no, I I would I like him a lot. I'd love to see him do well. Oh, I do. But yeah, he's he's always kind of the you know always a bridesmaid, never a bride, as in terms of you know getting close to winning some of these races. Uh, but yeah, it'd be great to see him do that this year for sure. Okay, yeah, and rounding off the four Grand Rex unit this year is Carlos Munoz, who was 13th in 2015, 20th in the Indy 500. But he was runner-up a couple of years ago in 2013. Uh, had a had a solid 2015. He got that first win at Detroit Race One when it was rained off halfway through. Also had top five finishes in Iowa and Pocono King. Now. I like Munoz. I think he's an overall solid all-rounder. Um, I wonder, is it going to be time for Andrade to wish he kicks on a little bit, though? <laughs> yeah, yeah, like nothing's going to beat that that rookie year he had at the Speedway where he qualified second and then finished second in the 500. And I was like, this kid is something to watch. And it's like, it was kind of like... I wouldn't say a disappointment, but like more of like a lowering of expectations as time went on, where he, where he, it just he couldn't find that form again. Yeah, it's kind of strange that yeah, you know, uh, as I know, Minions was one of those highly hyped prospects, but it just it just hasn't really come together for him yet. I mean, he's he's got it again, still shows tremendous upside every once in a while, um, but it just hasn't really come together. I also wanted to give a mention to Gabby Chavez in that regard. I think he was a guy that reminded me a lot of that last year. Pocono, he was so close to a top two finish at Pocono before um, his engine comes out right at the end there, but I think he would have been great to have in the series. It's a shame he had to miss out for Alexander Rossi, but uh, I don't think a certain person on this show is going to complain about that. Not very much of a shame. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I like, I like Munoz too. He's, um, you know, no, not someone I'm definitely particularly going to cheer for, but it's always good to see him do well. Um, you know, nothing wrong with that. Yeah, solid all-rounder, like I said. Now, 
I'm sure at some point Johnson will edit in the music to the Imperial March because it's now time to talk about Penske. <laughs> Every, the Dark Destroyers of IndyCar and uh, their super lineup. Um, again, they're the perennial top tier powerhouses. And when I first started watching IndyCar at the start of last season, we often joked with me, King, and a friend of the show, Elusive Kev, where. Um, we mentioned that uh, they were like the Penske curb stomp became a catchphrase of ours because <laughs> of how much they were just dominating the front of the board. I think that very first qualifying session is in Pete. They had all four of their guys as, as part of the fast six. And I was like, oh, I see, I see a pattern here. <laughs> <laughs> but um, let's talk about, first of all, everybody's favorite Colombian hothead, Juan Pablo Montoya. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> 2015 runner-up, uh, lost the title on countback, the poor guy. Um, obviously, kart champion in 1999, last year's Indy 500 winner, reigning Indy 500 winner, of course, and won in St. Petersburg, and he had three third places at, at Long Beach, the Indianapolis Grand Prix, and at Pocono. Now, Kings, I think it's fair to say Monty is going to be a title favorite or in the discussion for sure, because Montoya's just that damn good. <laughs> Yeah, he's that damn good, and this team is that damn good too. It's 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 everyone's worst nightmare. It's Juan Pablo Montoya at Penske, and it seemed like what three years ago people were like, "Oh, those days are long gone. Don't have to worry about that anymore." And that just changed so fast. It's like shit, Monty's fast again. We're all doomed. <laughs> yeah, but um. Like, is it is it a matter of the the voice of impending doom here, Sarah? Because again, Montoya is just he's, he's always going to be in the mix. For- he is, and I mean, you give him the Chevy Aero kit and Penske's backup, and you know, what are you going to do? <laughs> <He's>, <laughs> you know, at this point, you just have to you just have to wait for him to age out of the series because you know I'm pretty sure he's going to be quick right up until he's done. So yeah, yeah I mean. This Penske squad is an old squad. I think, what, Will Power is the youngest guy on the team at 35, and Juan Pablo Montoya and Elio Castroneves are both 40. Yeah. I don't think Pagino's that old, is he? Hang on. Yeah, Pagino's the young guy. Okay, yeah. Yeah, Hang I know. On. That's still... Um, and then Google settle this. He's 32 in May. Dang. <laughs> <laughs> I'm younger than the whole Penske squad. Oh, yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh, sorry, the breath of fresh air, this podcast always <laughs> Sorry, Johnson. Nah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, very much the case. Like, it's, it's scary that a 31-year-old in the team is the young and, um, relatively speaking. But, yeah, I can't I can't achieve any of that. If Monty will be in the mix, it, it's like the juggernaut when it comes to speed, the, the most efficient team in, in, in the field, and Monty, who is just such a brilliant driver in every way like like we all mocked him when he left f1 but monty is just that dude he's just that quick everywhere um moving on the number three car and uh everybody's favorite fonz from brazil elio castro neves um fifth in 2015 four-time indycar series runner-up uh three-time indy 500 champion of course uh did, did not win around last year amazingly but it was second in uh, in New Orleans, Long Beach, and Milwaukee, he was third in Texas and Toronto. King again, it's Elio. <laughs> you know, he's he's gonna be in there again. It's it's just it's like just it's like it's like cut, cut copy paste, but with like Elio being like the nicest dude in IndyCar, pretty much. I love him. Yeah, <laughs> but I think him being Elio Castroneves, the question isn't whether he'll win the title or not. It's 
whether he'll finally become a four-time Indianapolis 500 winner or not. Yeah, I think it's fair to say that, you know, I don't think Helio particularly is that bothered if he's series champion or not. I think it's more the Indy 500s and the fact he's won three of them already as it is, which is just crazy in its own right. Um, I mean, Scott Dixon said it himself. He traded in his three titles at the time for three Indy 500s. It's, it's, it's just the nature of the beast more than anything else. But again, we all love Elio. He's like one of the, he's probably the people's champion of IndyCar more than anything else. And yeah, Sarah, it's like cut copy paste for Montoya, really, isn't it? Yeah, basically. Um, I'm actually a little side story here. I'm using him as a way to try to get people into IndyCar because um, yes. a lot of my a lot of my hockey fan friends. Uh, so the, his partner on Dancing with the Stars, Julian Ho, mm, is married yeah. to one of the nicest dudes in hockey. So, and he just got traded from one team to the other. So I'm like, well, you know, his wife was on Dancing with the Stars, right? With this guy, Helio Castroneves, who's really awesome. And it just, it, it spirals out of control from there. <laughs> and yeah, it's, it's worked. I mean, I've gotten people who are like, oh, that race is next week. We should watch this and see this guy do his thing. Um, mm. <laughs> just, it's so fun. So, but yeah, no, he's great. I, uh, you're right. It is very cut, copy, paste. For, from Montoya, it's Penske. Penske was a Chevy Aero kit. What are we going to do? <laughs> exactly. And on another quick side note, he was also on James Hinchcliffe's own podcast, The Mayor on Air. I forgot to mention that earlier, but uh, they have their own podcast series, IndyCar, The Mayor on Air, and there is no better man to host that than Mr. Hinchcliffe, and his episode with, with Elio is insightful and hilarious. Uh, so, again, check that out if you haven't already. Again, cut, copy, paste. Elio is a perennial top contender, and he will be because he's just great everywhere. It's Penske and a Chevy Aero kit. So who's next? Oh, great. It's Willpower next. Shit. Willpower. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, it's like, oh, I wonder if I can say something different about this one. But um, again, I think it's fair to say, King, Power is probably the fastest man in IndyCar. Like, I think he was on pole position five times uh, last season, more than any other guy. He's the 2014 series champion, runner-up at the Indy 500 last year to his own teammate in Montoya, won the Indianapolis um, Grand Prix, second at St. Pete. Cut copy-paste again, King? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, like, the only person that could stop, like, the only people who can stop Will Power is his teammates. That's pretty much it. Yeah, like I don't. I think Sarah would probably echo your sentiments. Power is a monster. <laughs> he just is. He's yeah. just so fast in everything. When it comes to raw speed, he's unbeatable. I think in in my in, at least in my humble opinion. But um, again, Sarah, it's pretty much running the same again, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, Will Power. You know, he won the championship a couple of years ago. Uh, he's yeah, he's good. He's really good. I I don't know what else to say here. It's not like there's any really criticisms. <laughs> him that i can lay out here he's got a great team behind him he's an incredible driver uh and you know he's always going to be you know one of the guys in contention for a win so yeah cut copy paste yeah Yeah. like like us talking about penske is basically just talking how big and powerful the death star is we're really good and we're really kind of i'm kind of sad about it but not really (laughs) yeah yeah just like the death star it's like you're it's it's really good but it's sad when it blows up your planet (laughs) it's not like mercedes in f1 where you know they're probably going to win every race it's more like yeah it's the death star but yo people blew up the death star you can take it. Like, they're beatable. hard. Like, they're beatable, guys. Like, yeah, it's it makes true. It, it makes it that much more satisfying when you do beat them. 
I mean, we saw Scott Dixon do it last year. It's it's doable. It's possible. Yeah, Scott Dixon overcame the Empire with the other Empire. Scott Dixon <laughs> is the Luke Skywalker of IndyCar. Yes. <laughs> Done. <laughs> There you go. Um, so, again, rinse and repeat. Will Power is, is another one of those guys that's up there now. Simon Pagano is a little bit more interesting in that regard. One, because he's also hilarious. And two, because Pagano was his first year with Penske this year after coming over from Smith Peterson. He was 11th overall. Um, he was 10th in the 500. Now, I want to talk about that Indy 500 King because. Pagano was super fast last year in the, at the Indy 500. I just think the issue with him is that he can't really pack race, but the speed is there in, in bucket loads. I was so frustrated because I call, I basically bragged to everyone, hey, Pagano's going to win the 500, guys. Pagano's going to win the 500. Race starts. It looks like he's going to win. It looks like he's going to win. I'm like, guys, he's going to be the first winner since Gaston. He's going to be the first French winner since Gaston Chevrolet. I'm like, and then his engine cogs out and it's all over. <laughs> Poor guy. Like, Pagano was definitely the unlucky one of the Penske guys last year. Like, again, I've said it before. Pagano is a brilliant all-rounder and... His oval speed was, I think, something that was greatly underlooked last year. The guy is fast on an oval, all of them. He's right up there, but I think his pack racing, I think, just kind of let him down just a little bit last year. But uh, Sarah, I mean, he's 90% there. Like, Pagano is really fast. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. He he was one of the guys at Pocono where we were like, oh, suddenly Pagano is coming out of nowhere. Like, how is he in the top three? What the hell is going on? Uh, so full full disclosure, I had never, I had been to a bunch of races before we went to Pocono. I just did not really know what to expect at an oval. I mean, Pocono is technically an oval, mm. right? Um, the tricky triangle but it's basically noble um and the, the race style is so different and i oh i had it was a blast um but yeah he he was he was always right up there right like challenging for the lead like oh man it was so exciting so yeah it would be really cool to see him get his pack racing shit together and you know be one of the penske guys that everyone's afraid of because what's worse than free penske guys Four Penske guys. <laughs> All right. Yeah. And finally, the reigning series champions, the Ganassi team, and the reigning series champion, Scotty, I feel safe to save my life, Dixon. <laughs> like, I call him I call, I call him the Peter Perfect of IndyCar because he just lives, like, the perfect life. <laughs> he does. He really does. <laughs> He's ridiculously fast. He could fuel save better than anyone in the series can. He has a beautiful wife and kids. <laughs> like, and he's one of the greatest IndyCar drivers ever with four series championships and the, and the 2008 Indy 500 victory to his name. King, again, it's like a Penske where you just trade in the name Ganassi instead, really, isn't it? <laughs> Nah, nah, he's Luke Skywalker. <laughs> he's Luke Skywalker. <laughs> he's not the bad guy here. <laughs> that works. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, yeah, Dixie. Like to to everyone who watches Formula One, it's all oh, fuel saving is boring. It's like you've never seen Scott Dixon drive a race car. Because <laughs> him at Mid Ohio is just like magical. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, like Dixon is just absolutely superb. Um, again brilliant all-rounder everywhere a demon on the tracks like i said he could fuel save to a magnificent degree i I don't know how he does it like i want to know his secrets as to how he's so fast at being able to fuel save at the same time and on certain tracks he's borderline invincible like mid ohio he's like the king of that track um as well so dixon again 
Sarah will be will be right at the top of the pile again by the end of the season, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, watching him last year was a really good time, um, especially that last race. Oh man. Uh, but yeah, you're right. I, I think he will be close to the top of the pile. Chip Ganassi is a great team. Um, again, with the Chevy Aero kit, I am really interested to see if Honda kind of balances that out this year. Mm. Um, but I mean, all indications are that Chevy is still superior. So we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see I'm, I'm also really excited because uh, Max Chilton basically being the Sage Karam replacement. Uh, Dixon and Kanan spent a lot of time last year pranking him. Oh, God. I cannot wait to see what they do this year. <laughs> They're going to prank oh, the shits out of the blonde-haired Englishman. <laughs> you you do not know. Like, I think it was an interview a couple years ago when Dario was still with the team. The three of them, basically, they had an editorial in Racer Magazine where they just called everyone out in Formula 1 and called them all, all prima donna playboys. It's like they're gonna prank the shit out of Max Chilton. Oh please, dude! I mean, if they could wrap Sage Karam's Camaro in pink. Oh man! <laughs> have you seen that video? It's I so have. good. Yes. I, I, have, I, I have not seen that video, Sarah. You better send me send me a link to that as soon as we're done. <laughs> I have to see this. Um, but um, yeah, like Chilton, you're gonna get destroyed this year. <laughs> like you are the stereotypical blonde-haired, beautiful-speaking Englishman. You've had it, <laughs> quite frankly. You're out of here. Um, I think Dario is still involved pretty closely with that team, right? Um, oh yeah. yeah, yeah. He's he's a driving coach. Yeah, yeah. So, oh boy. <laughs> and, I, and I want to hug Dario because he's one of my heroes. So, um, he's great. His yeah. commentary on Formula E is fantastic. Oh, he's brilliant. So enthusiastic. Always oh, a joy to listen to. We love Dario in every every single way. Uh, so, Dixon, his very experienced Brazilian cohort, Mr. Tony Canal, <laughs> one, 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 again, one of the great characters of IndyCar again, right there. TK, eighth in 2015, 2004 series champion, 2013 Indy 500 winner. Couple of solid results last year. Texas and Fontana he finished in second and third at St. Pete as well. King, I'm not sure if Canal's best days are behind him, but he's still again right in the mix <laughs> yeah he's still right in the mix i don't like as again i like <laughs> like to reiterate what you said where it seems like he's nearing the end of his career because his speed is starting to trickle off a little bit but he's still competitive though mm -hmm. so it should be interesting to where where he ends up at the end of the year because it might determine whether he is with Ganassi next year or not. Yeah, it's a thing because I remember he was very fast at the Indy 500 as well before he spun out there and um, put a wheel on the paint and gone, but Kanon was right up there again as well um, in the mix with the win with Dixon and whatnot. So again, TK, he'll be right up there, I'm sure again, possibly. Maybe the decline will start happening, but hey, Somebody needs to give Kanan 500 points because he was brave enough to ride in a car with a Taylor Swift livery on it. And if he's willing to do, <laughs> if he's willing to take one for the team like that, he deserves another series championship right there. And then, quite frankly, <laughs> but yeah, again, if, on 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 the list of guys you might want to consider supporting, Kanan is right up there because again, brilliant character in his oh. own in his own right, one of the best guys in the field. Not afraid to take the piss out of himself on many different occasions. Um, great guy. And the last driver. We've finally made it to the end. The last driver we're previewing here. Charlie Kimball. Uh, 12th in 2015. Third at the Indy 500 last year. Third at Sonoma. And fifth um, at the Grand Prix of Indianapolis. Um, 
Is this another? Is this another attendance award winner here, King? Yeah, I would say he's. <laughs> yeah, attendance award. Like he's edging toward. It's like between attendance award and being Carlos Munoz esque, but yes. it's not. He's not that talented, so I can't. It. Oh, it's like I just want to see him in like more commercials about insulin, and that's pretty much it. Agreed. Like and again, you know. Racing with insulin is a, is a great. It's kind thing. of similar a similar situation to what Pippa's got going on, right? So he's mostly just a spokesman for for diabetes stuff. Yes, and yes. He's driving an Indy car, doing it. Good times. <laughs> hey, if, if I'm gonna plug diabetes, that would be the way I'd want to do it. Quite frankly, right. <laughs> give me one, give me a 240 miles an hour race car to do it in because yeah, fuck it, why not? <laughs> oh, man, he he at Pocono. I don't know if you remember this during qualifying. He like caught air coming Oof. around that third corner and ended up in the fencing, which Jesus. was really scary. But I, you know, obviously he was fine. Um, and qualifying got delayed by like an hour because yeah, they had to like put out the fire and get the oil off the track. And yeah, me and a few friends of mine were on Skype during that. We had to fill time like Jake Humphrey did at Canada 2011 <laughs> in F1. It was uh, a bodge job to say the least. But uh, <laughs> yeah, that is the entire. 2016 IndyCar field. We've made it to the end, and just a few couple of uh, mid-season categories. I want to, I want to uh, throw to you guys out here. It's courtesy of Sinan. Uh, if you're watching Sinan, hey mate, uh, thanks for listening. If you made it to the end, God bless you. Um, so, Rookie of the Year goes to. Oh, Rookie of the Year. Oh, it's like I think. I think I might have to like secure my passport in a safe location because I'm gonna have to say Max Chilton. Chilton? Ooh, okay. Sarah? You know what my answer is gonna be, please. <laughs> Come on now. 1776% Alex Rossi. <laughs> I okay. Why did I even bother asking? Jesus why? Christ! Why? You made the mistake. You did it. Shut up, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> you got me on that one, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so King's going Chilton. Sarah's going Rossi. Duh. I uh, I will go Connor Daly on this one. Uh, shout out to all the Brennan fans out there. Uh, I'm going Connor Daly on this one because he's the fucking man. So I'm going to go with Connor Daly on this one. That's all you need to know. Um, uh, championship favorite. So, Ooh. pin your tail on the donkey. Who wins the championship? <laughs> no, no, pin, no, no. You you pin your Tie Fighter to the Death Star. <laughs> Unless you pick the Death Star itself. <laughs> Go on, King. Title favorite. Uh, Dixon, 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 Dixon. Dixon, 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 <laughs> and the glorious lightning bolt livery. Um, understandable. He's gone. He's gone with Skywalker. What a bastard. <laughs> <laughs> Sarah? You know what? I'm going to go out there and take a chance. And I'm going to say Joseph Newgarden. Because I, <laughs> I think he had a great season last year. And I think that if he even picks it up a step from that, he's got a really good chance. I mean, he was in it right until the end. Mm-hmm. He absolutely so. was. He was the outside bet. And he was second on, on track for 90 points in that last round at, at, at uh, Sonoma as well. So maybe it's off, it's off the... Uh, well, off the road there, but yeah, yeah, it's my pick. It's, it's, I'm annoyed because I was, I was going to sound really cool and pick New Garden there, but now I'm thinking, ooh, I can't pick New Garden right now. Do I dare say Gray Ray Hall in the Honda? Nah. Yeah, why not? 
Oh. You never know. He could he could lift all of Honda Motorsport onto his back and do the whole thing. <laughs> like, like I, I should note, I should just note being like a stat like nerd. Mm. The last time a non-Big 3 team won the championship was basically never. It was 2000, 2002 with Sam Morris Jr. winning for Panther Racing. And that's when none of the Big 3 teams were in the current IndyCar series. Crikey. But you know what, though? What better time than now? Let's do that. <laughs> I don't blame you. Joseph Newgarden is a great outside of the, outside of the lines kind of pick. Do I dare play the Kylo Ren card here? And do I dare pick Will Power? As I said it, I said it last year, and I, and I nearly had it on that one. Uh, yeah, th- throw them double birds up to the sky and pick Will Power. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck it. Yeah, Will Power. Will Power. I'm going with Will Power on this one. <laughs> He's my favorite heel turn in Australian. So I will go with Will Power on this one. Um, and finally. Breakout star of the year goes to. Hmm. Oh, that means like it's not a rookie because we already did that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'd love to say Marco Andretti. I'd love to see him do well in a season. Marco but probably not. It. Okay. Yeah, I, I I want Marco to win a 500 so badly. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know what? Let's go with Hinch. Because it would. Like, That's true. Having him have a bounce back season after last year would be great. Yeah, can we, can we get a comeback? Can we get a comeback driver of the year would like the NFL? <laughs> but uh, yeah, Sarah's going Hinchcliffe. King? Yeah, I'm going to go Marco then. Marco Andretti. And I will go with. Hmm. Look at that list one more time. I'm going to go with. Ooh, this is tricky. This is tricky. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to go Connor Daly again. Because why not? <laughs> I should just mention Adam Johnson, while he's not on the show today, he said Sebastian Bourdais. And I don't know why. I, I just didn't feel like picking Sebastian Bourdais because he won last year. Like, how is Bourdais a breakout name? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's one of the most established names in the history of American open wheel racing. <laughs> a French dude. A French dude. <laughs> In glasses, who's a complete nerd. Hey, uh, hey, French dudes have done a lot for this country. Damn straight. <laughs> Especially that one guy, Chevrolet. Mm-hmm. And that will just about wrap it up on this edition of the Motorsport 101 podcast. Um, fantastic show, as always. You can always find me on Twitter at Harrison101HD, but you probably already knew that. You can find Ryan King at Ryan Eric King. That's 2Ks. Go follow him. Sarah. Feel free, the mic is yours. Plug yourself to high heaven because the people need to know who you are, damn it. <laughs> All right, so I'm half of a podcast called The Grid Girls. Actually, we have an episode coming up where we yeah, we got to interview Jenny Gao. Um, all about what? all sorts of stuff about women in motorsports. Uh, we talked to her about Canada 2011 and how she was, that was her first experience doing radio for F1. So she also had to do all that time filling. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's great. You can find us uh, on Twitter at at the Grid Girls, mm-hmm. uh, no spaces or anything. And then I personally am on Twitter at at Sarah underscore Connors. Two O's, two N's. Yep. <laughs> I, will, I will definitely mention that in the description of the podcast. Yeah, like 
we like we're all we're all a big family. Like the Greek gods are probably gonna nab at least one of us at some point. <laughs> yes. Uh, more yep. likely, but it's, it's part of a swap deal. It's like it's like a foreign we'll exchange student. <laughs> we have a good time. Saski's actually so my co-host Saski is in South Africa right now, and she went to look at Kailami Ranch. Oh yeah, uh, pretty cool. Yeah, I've been there. Yeah. Well, I haven't been to Kailami Ranch, but I've been in that general area. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so she's we we're not recording for a couple of weeks because she's she's there for a bit. But uh, yeah, when we come back, we'll figure something out for sure. That that'll be fantastic. And uh, again, please follow Sarah. She's one of the most entertaining people you will follow on Twitter. She's an absolute yep. she's an absolute star. And check out the Grid Girls as well, friends of the show. They're brilliant in their own right. Check them out. Please give him a moment when I'm on bump on my behalf, would you? Um, of course, also, also big thanks to Adam Johnson behind the mic. He's you know, I, I, he obviously got the headphones in. He's produced a show on Mother's Day. God bless him. So a uh, big thanks to Adam Johnson on that. He's filled in. He's filled in beautifully here. I'm um, just producing because I've, I've got my new job starting tomorrow. So that's kind of why we took a gamble and recorded on Sunday night instead. But um, big thanks to everybody who's listened. We're up over 3,000 total plays on SoundCloud. You guys are absolutely fantastic. So thank you all for that. And next week we'll be back with an F1 season preview. But until then, from me, from Sarah, and from Ryan, thank you all very much for listening. And we'll catch you guys next time. Sayonara. Like, I'm not really you are the world champion! <laughs>